Over the years, I've been very fortunate and blessed to have had the opportunity to meet many amazing people. However, there is always those rare individuals whose love of life, tenacity, and that have that extraordinary will to succeed despite any personal setbacks and obstacles. In this podcast, you will get a snapshot of one such individual, Oli Cantos. Oli is the chairman of Respectability's Board of Directors. He has been active in the civil rights arena since 1990. He is a special assistant to the Assistant Secretary of Civil Rights at the U.S. Department of Education, attorney mentor for the American Bar Association Commission on Disability Rights, and a member of the United States Coast Guard Auxiliary. Oli's previous positions with the Department of Justice and the Bush White House administration are equally as impressive. Oli's resume and accomplishments are extensive, but it is his love and compassion for others that this podcast is about. After meeting and mentoring blind triplets, Oli Cantos decided to give of himself and adopt these three preteen boys from Colombia named Stephen, Nick, and Leo. By the way, did I mention that Oli Cantos is also blind and has been since birth? Welcome to the Latino Business Report. This podcast covers business, people, and issues of the day from a Latino perspective. The Latino Business Report is brought to you by TAMAC, the Texas Association of Mexican-American Chambers of Commerce. TAMAC is the leading Hispanic business organization in Texas since 1975. Now for your host, J.R. Gonzalez. And welcome to another episode. Today, I'm very excited. I have not only a great guest, but an old friend. Well, he's not that old. I've just known him for a long time. For the past 18 years, Oli Cantos and I have uh, been good friends. We've worked together. We've traveled together. We've had speaking engagements together, and we are actually hooked up. We're on different parts of the country now. Oli's actually in California, and uh, he's agreed to be on the show. So, Oli, thank you so much for taking time to be on the podcast today. Thank you so much, JR. It's great to be here. Well, you know, Oli, we haven't seen each other for years. We we talk every now and then, but I just want to get caught up, and I also want to share with the listeners just what an amazing individual you are. Um, you're an attorney. You um, have worked in government, but the thing that really, really resonates with me and just really tells me what kind of person you are is you adopted three blind children adopted as your very own why did you do that it's because those boys and i were absolutely foreordained to be together it it has been the ride and run of my life and i absolutely just love it it's it has transformed my life and theirs and being father and sons is just the best just most awesome thing ever because we just have a bond that's unbreakable and uh they they say oh well blood's thicker than water well we say love is thicker than blood that's what we say in the adoption movement it's absolutely absolutely true i mean and i remind people that sometimes when it comes to when people don't understand adoption um uh we we tell people that when it comes to family when the, the family that you have biologically, you're just, you're, you just have them. They're born into your family. You're born into whatever family. But here with adoption, you are actually selected and you're chosen. Yeah. 
And so it's just important because people sometimes think that adoption is some sort of second class. It's not. It actually represents the highest form of love because because even though they're not related biologically, we treat them as the, as our own, not even as if. They are our own because when they're adopted, they're ours. Well, adoption's tough enough. It's the fact that, Oli, you're a single, you, you're a single parent and you're blind yourself. I'm just, it's mind boggling is to how did, how did, well, first of all, let's back up before that. So you were born, you were born blind. Is that correct? Or, or did, did something right. happen at the hospital? That, I mean, you've yep. been blind since, since birth. Yep. That's right. That's right. And so you can really relate to these, these three boys. And we're talking about three boys are triplets. I'm sorry. I didn't mention that. These are triplets. Yep. And Leo, Nick and Steven. Leo, Nick, and Stephen, and so you uh -huh. have th you you adopted three blind uh, three blind young men or boys at the time that are triplets, and you're blind yourself. And just let's back up a little bit. How did how did you overcome? Um, as some people look at it as a handicap, which you don't believe it's a handicap. I don't believe it's a handicap, but just a situation that you learned to overcome. But you've accomplished some amazing things. I mean, um, not only not only in your in your childhood and growing up, but you're also an attorney. You're very well accomplished. I, I've looked at your resume. I tried to print it out and I ran out of paper. I mean, you have accomplished <laughs> so much in your lifetime, Oli. I mean, it just, it makes, it makes me blush. I feel like a, a freeloader over here. <laughs> well, well, what, what is the, the, the core of how all this got started was my mom. Um, my mom and dad are, have, they've been married for 52 years. And through that time, my mom has been the driving force. Uh, she demanded and expected that I, be just as accomplished as people who could see. And that was a lot of pressure on me. And to be honest, JR, I had no interest in wanting to be like everybody else. I, I just didn't think I could do anything because I was made fun of as a kid a lot, a lot of bullying as a kid. So when, you, when you're bullied every day or you're made fun of every day or no one wants to play with you and then your mom demands that you do well, I mean, then, I mean, that's pressure from all sides because I get it at home being pressured to, I got it at home being pressured to, to have to do well in school. And then at school, I had no friends except for other kids who are blind or visually impaired, but that was it. And then, so with that backdrop, it was just a really tough childhood because of all of that. But I, I didn't think that I could do anything. So when my mom first started showing me how to clean stuff, I'd say, well, I can't see the dirt. And then she'd literally say, then use your hands to feel where the dirt was or i had to clean the pool well, i don't know where, where the leaves are or whatever well then find a way to to go through the whole pool to make sure you get it all i mean nothing of what i i, I tried to make a bunch of excuses because i i honestly felt that she was just demanding too much of me and I mean, especially yeah. in your teenage years as any teenager, you make an excuse for not to do housework or, or chores <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I had to take care of my baby sister, all this other stuff. I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't think I could do all that, you know, but I, I had no choice because it was required of me. And at the time I just thought that it was, I knew my mom and dad loved me, but I just thought that her pushing me that hard was almost heartless. Cause I'm just like, dang, you don't know what it's like to not be able to see and to push me this hard when I'm having so many other issues with not even being accepted. It's just not fair. But uh, no matter what I tried to do to, to gain my mom's sympathy, it just didn't work. Uh, it just, that was just how she's been. And she said, you know, someday you'll thank me for it. And 
honestly, at the beginning, I thought, how would I ever thank you for putting me through all of this? Because I had to stay up till 11, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, you know, like, and, and it was just tough just to get homework done. And and then I, I could see with my right eye a little bit. Um, so I was forced to read large print and they never taught me Braille in school. And the school district people said, well, he sees a little bit. Why teach him Braille? And my mom didn't know any better. So she didn't push for that. And then so I had to struggle. And then when I got in fourth grade, then the print was smaller. So it's even harder to read. And then I, and the material was more. And so I just struggled progressively and it was just, it was just darn tough. But you read Braille now. I do. I read Braille now, but I'm nowhere near, not even a fraction as, as fast as my boys. They, they learn Braille from a very early age and they read super fast. I mean, literally hundreds of words a minute. I I can't even dream of reading that fast, but, but that's how they are. Well, I definitely want to get to the boys before we go do, before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about, a little bit more about you, Oli. You you had struggled in school. I'm sure that was elementary school. Junior high probably wasn't any better. Was there any change in high school for you? Well, the, the, the change was actually started when I was in in, um, the later part of my elementary school years, because there was this bully named Dale and he just, he, one day I crossed him and he said, get out of my way. And I don't know what mood I was in, but this was when I was in fifth grade. I told him, no, you get out of my way. I don't know what possessed me to say that, but then he literally picked me up and threw me across the playground and I was hurt. And after school, some um, of my friends said, oh, hey, Dale's right there. We should go another way. And I'm like, no, I'm actually going to walk up to him. And then so I walked up to Dale and he said, what do you want? And I said, and I reached out my hand, literally, I reached out my hand, was just shaking and just said, hey, Dale, I, I don't want to be afraid of you for the rest of year, for the rest of the, of the year. Can I just, can I just be your friend? And I waited. I literally closed my eyes because I thought he's about to hit me. And then it turned out the next thing I felt was his hand in mine and it was a handshake. He said, sure. And all that stuff about this morning. Well, you know, sorry about all that. And he said, I'll be your friend. And then the next thing that he said taught me something. And he said, you know, uh, all those other kids, they make fun of you. From now on, if you have any trouble with them, you call me, you call out my name. And if I'm around, I'll come running. And for the very first time in my life, I thought, wow, I have power. <laughs> I'm like, I have somebody who can protect me now. So that so was my the, first lesson in leveraging. <laughs> <laughs> the, the playground bully became your bodyguard. He did. He did. And, and kids at that school uh, at Victor Hodge Elementary in the, you know, here in California, they, they never made fun of me there that way again. And then when I went to junior high, eventually became student body vice president and then I got involved, et cetera. There's like a lot, a lot after that, but, but, but the whole thing all started with Dale. Well, Dale, if you're listening, thanks for taking care of my buddy, Oli. <laughs> hey, and then uh, where'd you go to college at? Uh, I went to Loyola Marymount university uh, in, in, here in Los Angeles. And then, okay. then I went to Loyola law school after that. So oh, you're a lawyer. I mean, Getting through law school is tough enough, but I couldn't imagine going through law school blind. I mean, how did you, I mean, there's a massive amount of reading. How did you, how did you deal with that? Well, it it was tough, but, but the the law school was absolutely incredible. And I, I, I will say their name forever with praise because of the way they were so supportive of me. They literally used work study students to read all the textbooks to me. 
So they just said, with whatever hours you need for students to read to you, have that happen. And then there was also a, a service that used to be called Recording for the Blind and Dyslexic, or Recording for the Blind at the time. And, and then so there were materials on tape, and then anything that wasn't available on tape because they didn't have the right edition, uh, then students would read that to me. So I would listen to hours and hours and hours of recordings. And then, and then I would have a computer that had assistive technology on it, so it talked. So I would type out my notes based on what I'd hear on tape. Wow. Cool technology, but very time-consuming, I would imagine. Extremely. And and there were literally, in, in totality, there were um, several hundred pages a day to go through. So it was, it was very, very stressful. Okay. So you get through law school, and you pass the bar. Then mm-hmm. what? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't mean it to sound this way, but who wants to hire a blind attorney? I mean, yeah. That, that's a good you... yeah that's a good question well during the time i i was uh uh waiting for the bar results uh i decided to volunteer at a local uh, law firm supporting the community it's a public interest law firm uh and it happened to focus on supporting people with disabilities i thought well hey i might as well just help out wherever i can and then so i i was involved just just as a volunteer to help out wherever i could and then when the bar results came out, they saw that they saw the list because it was posted online. And so once the results were made public, then within hours, I got a call from the executive director of the organization. And she said, hey, congratulations for passing the bar. You want to work for us? And that's how it all started. There you go. There you go. So your first uh, law, law job was working for, was it a nonprofit? Yes, it's it's a nonprofit uh, legal advocacy organization here in Los Angeles, now called the Disability Rights Legal Center. Okay, now how did that job actually translate into you ending up in in public service or government service and in Washington D.C.? Well, what ended up happening was uh, because of all the things I was able to do at a grassroots level and to really foster a lot of change in Southern California. Uh, um, my boss nominated me for an award, a national award called the Paul G. Hearn uh, National Leadership Award for people with disabilities. And it's so prestigious that it comes with it came with ten thousand dollars cash at the time. Plus, each each recipient was introduced by a member of Congress. It was super prestigious, and and so for emerging leaders. And so I was nominated for that, and 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 I won. And uh, I was flown to Washington and, and got to meet all sorts of people there. And uh, one of the things that happened was I ended up building a close working relationship with the president of the organization that gave me the award. So long story short, uh, he eventually offered me a, a job to go to come to Washington to work for him. And so I became general counsel and director of programs for the American Association of People with Disabilities, which had a membership of 70,000 at the time. Wow. And so I, I took over a, a program supporting employment and I 10X'd it in two years, two and a half years. Uh, so by the third year, about three years from the time I got there, it literally is 10 times larger than when, when I took it over. And so wow. that drew, yeah, and that drew some attention. So then um, there were uh, folks in government who saw that. And so then later when I applied for, for a a government job, uh, my history was really solid. And so I ended up joining government in 2004. Hmm. And that first uh, government job you had, what was it? I was um, a special assistant to the assistant attorney general for civil rights at the U.S. Department of Justice. 
Okay. And that was in August of 2004. And that's about give or take when we met, wasn't it? Roughly. Yeah. Yep. Roughly. Because, yep. That's when we met. Um, because, and, and that was a year before I moved to, to get in my own condo, but I, I'm lucky, uh, that I got to meet you during that time because it just set into motion, just all the good things that we've been able to do together. And it literally happened starting with you and I meeting in an elevator, like, Oh, hi, I'm Oli. <laughs> hi, JR. <laughs> that's how it started. Literally. It, 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 it literally started that way. That it's, it's amazing. I know that, uh, um, uh, Oli, you'd come over to my apartment, would catch some TV, go to your apartment. The thing is, your apartment looked like a Costco warehouse, Oli. I mean, you it, I thought you were a survivalist or something first time I met you. You had all these bottled waters, all this canned food. I mean, it was just fully stocked. But then you explained to me, he says, well, it minimizes the trips to the grocery store, which which made sense, which made sense. So from there, and uh, we got to know each other. And then after I left Washington, D.C., and you went your separate ways, I know I'd call on you to do speaking engagements and you were so high up in the darn government i had to fill out form after form after form just to get permission for you to come and and to one of my events or to something i was working on to to speak how did how does that work with the, with the us government i mean why all the forms holy well uh there's an important it's really important to to make sure that that there is no appearance of impropriety so we have to we have to run it through ethics checks that kind of thing and so there's a whole there are whole offices that are dedicated just to that and so this was when you and i started stepping things up it it could either have been at the tail end of my first time at the justice department or when we went when i served in the next position that we haven't talked about yet um but um whatever way um it's just it was just really important to make sure just for transparency reasons that whenever we do anything as public servants, that we do it in a manner that is above board and that that absolutely meets the highest standards of ethics and integrity. And in order to do that, they ask you everything. They ask you, well, what's the relationship? Is there pay involved? What's the source of the money? It's all of that. It's just a headache in a way. But at the same time, I'm glad that that's there because if ever anyone casts doubt on any of my activities, I could say, oh, nope, everything I do is ethics approved. So. Well, I'm surprised they approved that paperwork since it was me involved. I mean, when it comes to ethics. And it... <laughs> okay, so let's get to the let's get to the interest. I mean, it's it's very interesting altogether. All but you adopted. You're blind yourself legally. I mean, you've been blind since birth, mm-hmm. and you adopted triplets, three boys from Colombia. And how did that happen? Well, uh, by then it was 2010 and I was approached by uh, someone in a local social service agency and uh, he had, he said, hey, um, I, I don't know how to, well, he actually woke me up because he, he, he heard, heard about these boys and he thought, oh, I should introduce Oli to them, etc. But finally he just decided to just call. And so he called and he said, hey, uh, Oli. Uh, I have to talk to you. And he woke me up. And so I, and he said, Hey, um, I, I really, I really need, need to, to talk to you because, because uh, I need some sleep because he's been losing sleep over not calling me because he was supposed to call me about this before the way he felt. And I said, Hey, uh, let me help you with that Oswaldo. Good night. He's like, no, 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 don't hang up. Don't <laughs> hang up. <laughs> and then, and then so from there he said, Hey, I needed to talk to you because I've been thinking about this for weeks where there are these, these three blind triplet boys who are on our caseload. And I just keep feeling like I need to introduce you to them. 
and I just can't shake that feeling. Um, and especially because your time at the Justice Department and and uh, working for the president at the White House and all that kind of stuff. Hey, uh, uh, would you mind uh, mentoring them? I don't even know them either, but I, I we we all know about them. We try to help. And if would you be willing? And I and I said sure. Well, I mean, I've done community stuff over the years. I'm happy to help. And that's how it all started. Hmm. Somebody who couldn't sleep at night and gave you a phone call. So you met you met these boys, and then you rec- realized pretty quickly that they were uh, their mother, um, no father in the picture, but basically the kids were living as shut-ins. I mean, they they weren't allowed to go out and play. They didn't do anything. They didn't have friends. No social interaction. They just basically for what, six or seven years, just sat every day and stayed in the house and watched television? Yes, and as an ironic parallel, they too were all victimized by bullying every day. And nobody wanted to play with them much. And so they got they, they had pressures of a different sort where uh, they were bullied at school and had no friends except themselves. And then they came home and then uh, they were shut in there and there was nothing to do with watch but watch TV. And that was it. And they weren't expected to do anything because there was no expectations of, of blind people in that house. And I mean, in fairness, because there was no nobody knew anyone who was blind, so they didn't know how what to expect. So they just didn't expect much. Uh, and so, but it was just difficult because it it it, it had a developmental impact on them originally. Um, but eventually, uh, from them being in my life, and I brought them out. I I, I took them to the store, taught them grocery shopping, cooking. Um, going out, doing stuff, doing active stuff, shooting guns, all sorts of things. I mean, I didn't teach them the shooting guns part. I mean, we all went together for stuff. So they got part of, they got involved with Boy Scouts. And eventually they became the first blind triplets ever to reach the rank of Eagle Scout in the whole history of what was then Boy Scouts of America. Oh, they made history. Damn. Yep. Well, well, it sounds like you, you four made a lot of history. I mean, only when you told me you were, hanging out with these triplets. I mean, I said, okay, that's cool. I mean, you're, you're a generous guy. I could see that. I could see where you can be helpful. But when you came back and said, Hey, JR, I'm adopting these kids. I'm going in back of my mind. I mean, I put a smile on my face, go, gee, that's really cool. But I'm thinking, are you insane? (laughs) That's what my mom said. (laughs) What what are you doing? So only what motivated you? I mean, I can see spending time with them and mentoring and teaching them and all that's great. But why take that, that step? I mean, it probably cost you, thousands and thousands of dollars and, and a lot of time and effort and headache to get these triplets and legally adopt them. Well, the, the driving force was that we knew at some point, the four, the four of us knew that we had a bond farther, just far greater than just, just mentor and mentees. It just, it felt that way almost from the beginning. And so uh, we, we knew that we were predestined to be a family. We still feel that way. And so merely having them call me Mr. Oli and being a mentor to them just felt just didn't feel right to any of us. So, I mean, it just there's a whole story behind how the whole dad thing happened, um, because even far before the the official uh, legal stuff, um, uh, they were calling me dad already. And it started with Leo. Okay. So that was it. And that just kind of was the icebreaker for you. Your just heart opened up and said, okay, and I, I gotta be, I gotta be their dad now. Yeah. And, and it was a decision. I mean, I knew it was going to be hard and it has been, uh, 
but I also knew that it would be extraordinarily fulfilling. And it was. And the ironic thing was uh, that before you left for Texas to move back there permanently full time, uh, you invited us to to your house for the going away party. And and we came to the apartment. Uh, Yeah. 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 And then and then the, the, the awesome thing was, you know, among those who attended was somebody who was Carolina Peña at the time. And then she she was doing a, a podcast called Generación Latina. And uh, it was and, a TV show. I think it was a TV show. Yeah, it was a public access show. It was a public access show. Public over access. The, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then so she brought us on there because she met us at your at your event, at your party, at your at your apartment. And then someone from there picked it up they, they heard it it got forwarded like two or three times and it eventually hit somebody at national public radio who then did a, a story on uh with a segment um on on there called story where every friday they would do a story and then that hit and then that went to millions and then one of the people who heard the story piece worked for people magazine and then that hit and it all started again had we not, had I not known you, none of that stuff with Carolina, et cetera, would have happened. It all happened all organically. I mean, it's just wild. I mean, we never would have imagined. By, by now, 61 million people have heard their story. I mean, we keep track of the media impressions. And I have no publicist. I like, people are like, oh, how did you get in People Magazine and ABC World News Tonight and USA Today? And, blah, blah, blah. Who's your and, I'm, I'm like, and I hope you told them because JR invited me to a party. <laughs> I do. I do tell people that. <laughs> <laughs> I tell people this. And I've actually used this, utilized the story as, a, as to really just share the power of networking. You just never know. The key is when you live life according to your highest ideals and you're and you 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 work to to really do right by people then then the blessings come and 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 that was it for for us there was never anything other than this the most most genuine and and um feelings of mutual respect and friendship and everything else just followed from that and i mean literally knowing you has changed all of our lives because the the stuff that happened with the media that led to them having additional support for scholarships and other people getting to know them and and them being an inspiration literally to millions of people around the world because we were actually ended up the stuff ended up being broadcast in Europe and and Africa and and uh, South America and some other places. I mean, we literally went global and it all started with meeting you. <laughs> wow. Well, we went back in the elevator, that, that, you know, yeah. coming home late. Yeah, and and a shout out to Carolina. I mean, she was, she's a. I was mentoring her when she she just was uh, out of high school. She had just started college. Uh, I helped her with some projects, and she was she was like a daughter to me actually. And and um, I hated, you know, when coming back, I kind of I kind of missed some of the a lot of the friends I left. But but that that happenstance of, of you meeting her there and she meeting. The boys and that's just amazing. I mean, you said what? Sixty-one million people have heard your story already. Million, yeah, because people alone was forty, and then then World News Tonight is another eight, and then there was a bunch of other f- things thrown in there. So it's been a lot, and it's still happening. It it happens. It's it's still happening. It's kind of growing on its own by itself. Well, now and, you can have this uh, podcast, the Latino Business Report. That's probably another five or six people right there. <laughs> I'm sure it's more than that. Yes, it's it's, it's more than that. Okay, so what are the boys doing now? Well, now they're they're in college, and um, Leo actually has 
uh, he started working in high school because uh, I literally, um, among other things, I had the, the boys work for money before they turned 18 because I told them, look, you need to learn how to how to make money through working or entrepreneurship or whatever. Uh, and then so Leo's been working for the past five years um, where he during the, the college year, I mean, during the time he's in college, he works 30 hours a week at this job doing federal contracting stuff. And then during the summers, he does it 40 hours a week or 38 hours a week. And, and then Nick, uh, he is uh, wanting to go into real estate or anything business related because his major is business. And then Stephen wants to to uh, work for nonprofits learning um, how to work with grant writers so that way he can help generate funds for, for organizations that need him. And he's also a, a, a former AmeriCorps uh, fellow where, where he supports kids from low-income families. So now it comes full circle because in the same way that I mentored them, now Stephen is doing the same thing with um, having been around uh, kids who really look up to him. And that organization when he, that he was an AmeriCorps fellow for actually gave him a volunteer of the year, not for being blind, but because of the ways that he, he positively impacted those kids' lives. Wow. Now, let me ask you this, and I know um, time, time, time will change things, but, but do they still remember their, their roots? I mean, the, do, they, do they speak Spanish? Are they bilingual, or are they kind oh, of lost gosh. a lot of it? The funny thing is I, I actually speak Spanish better than they do now because I learned how to speak Spanish with their grandmother. Uh, and, and so um, my, my Spanish isn't, isn't at the um, accelerated advanced level, but I, I can get by okay because I, all I did was speak to the grandmother in Spanish. And, and then so whenever they'd say stuff, I would literally tell them that's grammatically not right. You don't say it that way. <laughs> and, and so but they, they came to this country not knowing English. So it's funny how things change. Yeah, it, it'll tend to do that. Now, one of the things <clears throat> that I just find fascinating, Oli, is that in your life experiencers, you you never cease to amaze me. Uh, you know, for the listeners out there. I'll just I'll just relay this story. I was talking to Oli one time, and he goes, "Hey, Jr., guess what?" And I go, "What?" Because you wouldn't believe what I'm doing now. I go, "With you, Oli, no telling what." He goes, "I'm in the Coast Guard." I go, "What?" <laughs> so, share with us that story. How in the world did you get into the United States Coast Guard? Well, well, I was at a at a convention of the National Federation of the Blind of Texas, and one of the attendees, his name is Rob Dittman. He came and he was dressed in a Coast Guard uniform complete with 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 a lot of awards that he was wearing from all of the things that he had done. And 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 I, I asked him, I'm like, how in the world are you part of the military? And he said, well, the United States Coast Guard Auxiliary is is the volunteer arm of the Coast Guard. And we get meaning the, the auxiliary get to have uh, um, similar duties and responsibilities and, and, and we, we hold different positions. I'm like, I want to do that. And so I came back to Virginia after that convention and I got things rolling. And, and then at some, at, eventually I ended up serving as the, as the attorney for the, the fifth district Southern region covering uh, several States where I had to do uh, a, a review and approval of contracts, all that kind of stuff. And it was wild. And and the thing is, my very first position in the Coast Guard, I, I was a two and a half stripe. So I was a, the 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 rank equivalent of lieutenant commander. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my gosh, that's the coolest thing ever. 
Holy. So, I'm just so honored. I just love, I'm a patriot. And to be able to serve in uniform, I literally cried. I just was so grateful to be able to serve. That's amazing. If my memory serves me correctly, don't you get seasick? Yes, that's a, that's the ironic thing. I, I I did Coast Guard stuff, but I preferred to stay on land because if I'm on some small boat, the big cruise ships are fine, but a small boat, I get seasick after a while. So I am perfectly happy to just stay on dry land. <laughs> Man, I mean that one that one threw me for a loop when you said you're uh, in the Coast Guard. But okay, so Oli, what's next? Well, among other things, I am now running uh, locally for a city council here in West Covina, California. Uh, I've never run for office before. I've gotten appointments from presidents of the United States uh, and I've done other things and, you know, at the federal level, but I've never, and I've done some state stuff too, but I've never been an actual elected official. And um, here in West Covina, my parents have had this place for more than 47 years. So I've grown, I've grown up here since I was five and, and or four. And so, uh, especially uh, with the mentor who I have, his name is Steve Herford. Uh, he, he really, um, he was one of, he, I, I met him back when I was 21 years old. And when I had a local issue that I wanted to bring to the attention of the city council, no one else called me back. He's the only one. And um, that's what inspired me uh, to realize that I could make a difference by advocacy. So, so fast forward, now um, that I'm here in California and that my employer allows me to stay here full time. So even after the pandemic, I get to stay here. That allowed me to run for office uh, here at home where I grew up. And that's what's happening now. And so I'm just excited because we're, we're building an infrastructure. We have a campaign that we're seeking contributions because this stuff is expensive. <laughs> yeah, um, but it, yeah. But it's, it's been really incredible because there's been a lot of enthusiasm for this. And it's a nonpartisan um, election. In order for me yeah. as a federal employee to to run for elected office, it must be nonpartisan. Because so you had to get fun. permission for that, too, I'd imagine. I did. I did. I had to. I mean, talk about some paperwork. Oh, yeah. I had to. I literally had to seek formal ethics approval. First, my boss had to approve. Then after that, then once the approval from, from there came through, then um, I got um, approval from the ethics division at, at, at my department. And then that's what, what cleared the way. And then now I'm I'm uh, going through this and every day we're, we're building, we're growing already. And it's not even formally announced yet. Like you'll see it, Jared. It's not even on Facebook yet. Yeah. So. That's so yeah. When you have to fill out your, your campaign contributions, this is a nonprofit organization that sponsors this. So you don't have to write us down, but Hey, <laughs> anyway, Oli, I got to ask, I mean, you have been, I mean, you're an attorney, you're successful. You've worked in government. I mean, some of the areas of government, another, another, step or two higher and you would require secret service to be with you. I mean, you've had some high level jobs and now a local city council. Why? Oh, because I love making a difference and I know here how to get things done. I really do. So any local political tactics, intimidation, call name calling, I'm like, ah, I've worked for the president of the United States. That little, that stuff just does not phase me after everything that I, I needed to learn through being thrown in the deep end when I was at the white house and, and everything that I've gotten to do since then, this stuff is nothing in terms of that. Um, and the other part of it is that I know systems really well with my areas of expertise. And I know that I can really bring a lot to the city and, and I'm eager as, as someone who's a grassroots activist anyway, to continue to do grassroots stuff, but also to have an, 
a seat at the table, literally at the council table, and and to really push for for positive changes and and to rally people around us throughout my district and other places, so that way we can really help make a, di- a big difference together. And and I know I can get the work done, and 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 I know that it'll be a blast because I like having fun with what I do, and I also work across different party line, different different. I I also work across party lines, so it's it's really something that I just feel is a culmination of of a dream because I've wanted to run for office for 30 years, but I've never, it's never been politically uh, um, advantageous at all because just of where I lived, et cetera. But out here um, and plus with the support I have, it's, it's really possible here. So November 8th, 2022 is the big day. (laughs) Well, I have to ask since you're back home, have you reached out to that playground bully to see if he's still around to, to help you in your campaign or to serve as a bodyguard? Well, <laughs> I wish I could. And actually, that school is not that that far from here. That's in a neighboring city. Um, but I never knew Dale's last name. I remember he's Mrs. In, if Dale, if you're listening, Mrs. Leet's class, room seven, across from Mrs. Room, Mrs. Moon's class, room six. So if you are out there, please, I, I really would love to find you because because well, I'm, uh, sure one, I'm sure once the campaign starts, if he's around, he'll find you. Oh my gosh! I hope so, because because he he turned out to be a, a good friend, and 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 then it turned out he wasn't such a bad guy, you know, you know, like all that stuff with the bullying and all that, you know, it's just, you know, everybody when they know that they can have friends, it brings out the best in them, and 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 I really do think the world of of him with how things turned out. Yeah, well, that, that that's that's a great story. So you you're gonna do this next, uh, Oli. I I just wanted to thank you for taking the time to to be on this podcast. And um, just amazing. And, and folks, for Oli and I have had some, some good times. We've traveled together. And one of the things that I'll never forget is we were doing a, um, a leadership presentation in South Texas. I think we were in the Little Rio Grande Valley. Mm-hmm. And um, I took part of the class, and Oli was doing the uh, facilitating another part of it. And he pulls out this flip chart. He goes, JR, where's the flip chart? Where are my pens? Right there. And you started drawing, (laughs) diagramming on the chart and in this perfect sequence, these org charts and stuff. And I'm just going, I mean, I've known you for, I don't know how long. And my mind was blown going, how in the world are you drawing these straight lines and and these circles and doing this little uh, matrix on a flip chart? And you're blind. It blew my mind. I had people coming up afterwards. Are you sure he's really blind? Because how did he do that? So, Oli, I got to ask, how did you do that? practice there you go literally practice you you, you're welcome during any of those presentations to turn off the light i'll just keep going it's fine (laughs) (laughs) well then nobody will be able to see what you're drawing so okay that's right but then you can turn it back on and like oh yeah he's still drawing those straight lines (laughs) you know what before we go Oli, is there anything oh i have one more question before i do is there anything you'd like to leave us with i do jr and i really appreciate this opportunity for all of us with our lives, we have our in our own minds what we think is possible. We think that there are certain things that are realistic and other things that are just just really just way out there. I'm here to tell you that when we continually live a life dedicated to growth and learning new things each day, then the things that we once thought impossible turn out to be well within the realm of possibility. So the thing that I would love love to call upon all of us to do together is to look at 
our own limited beliefs and expectations in every area of our lives, whatever they may be. And then to ask ourselves the next question, well, I think that's not possible, but what if I'm wrong? What if I really expanded the horizons? And what if I found a way to go way, way past what I think is possible? And when we always have that question in our minds, then what ends up happening more often than not is our ability to grow beyond our wildest imaginings. And that's the message I'd like to leave, that basically when it comes to each of us, we have an, an inherent God-given potential. And, and our duty each day is to maximize each day, serving others along the way, and, and also uh, being there for, for our loved ones. And if we do that, then it's a life well lived. That's a great message, Early. It really is. Um, thank you for that. And, and the question I did want to ask you is, Let's uh, best of luck in the campaign for the listeners. I'm going to put some uh, on the podcast notes. I'm going to give some ways to reach Oli so you can learn about him a little bit more and maybe put some articles about the boys on the, uh, on the podcast notes as well. But Oli, would you be amenable to maybe after your campaign and hopefully after a win when things slow down is let's do this again. Let's get you back, but let's get the boys this time. Let's get the boys and let me let, let's get them on a podcast. Cause I uh, would like definitely to hear a story from their perspective. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, they they'd lo they love that. Uh, we, we have a lot of fun together as a family. And sometimes, especially what's happening more and more these days, they're doing things on their own without me. And that is like the highest form of success when it's one thing for me to say, hey, boys, do this, do this, do this, do this. It's another when I turn around and they're already doing stuff that I never asked or instructed and they're, they're growing into their own. And for all of us as parents to be able to have our children rise to the successes that we know to be possible for them, that's just the greatest joy. Absolutely. Oli, give them my best. It's been years since I've seen them. And uh, folks, you've been listening to the Latino Business Report with uh, J.R. Gonzalez as your host. And our guest has been Oli Cantos. You can listen to this podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts, or please visit our website, latinobusinessreport.com. We have a blog there that we just started. And if you like what you hear, like us, follow us, and let us know what you think. Guys, till next time. <laughs>